you are listening to the Passion City Church DC podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, DC, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. We're so glad you're here with us today, Pastor Louis and my friend Earl McClellan. So glad you are at church today. You know, we're trying to change the narrative a little bit. Not watching church, we're at church. That doesn't mean you have to be inside the four walls because we are the church. And that's church is not about a building, it's about you and me and worshiping Jesus. So today, let's kind of get into that zone together. We're not watching church online today. We are at church virtually today. And praise God that He is here in this place. We've already had a phenomenal gathering today. And you are going to absolutely be different when you walk away from our worship gathering today. So welcome to church. We're so glad wherever you are linking in from, welcome to Passion City Church. I could not be more thrilled today to have my friend, our friend, Earl McClellan in the house, our second voice of seven voices this week. And so pumped, he and his wife, Onika, they lead a church in Dallas, Texas called Shoreline City phenomenal church. And Earl and I spent, like this time last year... It was a lot of time together. We were spending a lot of yes. time together. We spent two weeks together, uh, one in Australia, one yep. in London, both speaking at a conference together yep. and uh, sitting side by side, session after session, day after day for a while. Loved every second of it. And loved every minute of it. <laughs> yep. Loved getting to know you. It's great having you back at Passion City, by the way. Happy to be here. Uh, Earl was here for fight night in September, mm-hmm. and all the guys of our house have been pumped this week. Ladies, I don't know if you've been as excited. I think you have, but uh, the guys have been buzzing. They're like, man, Earl is back. It was a great time being with the fellas. What was that? Uh, that was last year. September. September last year, yeah. yeah. Then I was supposed to be here for the uh, door hold of the US conference. Yeah. That, that didn't work so out. So the, the Saturday after we went online, March 15th, everybody knows that date now. Oh, yeah. We went in quarantine, went online at Passion City. The next Saturday was US conference. Earl was going to be with us that weekend. Us, us conference went away, mm-hmm. but the door holders are still here. The Passion City Church is Thankful, still here. That's right. And you're still here. I'm so happy to be here. I'm right. glad you're here today. I'm especially glad you're here today because um, it's been a little uh, bit of a crazy time, yeah. especially for me, for yeah. our house. Yeah. We had a conversation a month yeah. or so ago yeah. um, in an effort to try to be an advocate for justice yeah. and for my black brothers and sisters. I ended up saying something in the moment. I hadn't planned on saying it, but yeah. man, it just flipped everything upside down and what I'd hoped to do. Next thing you know, I'm in the news all over the place and um, it's been crazy. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it means a lot to me. You know, you and I were talking a lot before that. Yeah. We talked a lot after that. Yeah. But it means a lot to me that you'd be in our house today. And then I think you and I both talked about it. It's good just to talk about the elephant in the it room, is. right? It, it is. That's right. That's <laughs> just, right. It's like, okay, I'm a know, black guy coming here. Oh, I got a friend that I love and care about so much and said something uh, obviously, you know, hurtful, wrong. And you have taken, a, I think, the right posture in that and not trying to over-explain anything yeah. just to go, hey, I said something I shouldn't have said. Yeah. Let me just be quiet and listen and learn. And, uh, and I, I know I, I've appreciated that. Uh, you yeah. know, those who know you know, you know, that was not your intention. You were, you were trying to be an advocate and this thing just went sideways yeah. rather quickly. But you know, you helped me see that because uh, we talked a day or so, maybe the day that everything kind of blew up. Mm-hmm. 
And you, you're right away, you were like, Louie, you know I'm with you, and I love you. Um, but man, yeah, whether you intended to say it that way or you didn't, it still hurt. That's right. That's and right. it helped me get in touch, Earl, with the fact that, you know, because you, know, you can take a posture like, let me try to explain, let me try to, you know, fix this no. thing. And I realized, listen, no. whether it came out the way I intended or not, yeah. it hurt people. And I knew it hurt you. It did, it did. And you yeah. told me, you said it stung me. Yeah. When I heard that, yeah, right. and I and I realized right away, I I just need to a say I'm sorry because yeah. I didn't intend to hurt you, and yeah. I want to apologize mm -hmm. for anything that hurt you, yeah. and it helped me downshift into a posture of just wanting to say, hey, I'm sorry, yeah. you know, no explanations, no, let's try to say what I meant to say, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. let's just say what it is, yeah, I'm sorry, and, and with this, you know, again. Thank you for that. That's the right way to go about it, for sure. And when, when you have, you know, blessing and slavery and any of that stuff is ever in the same sentence, you yeah. know, some people are probably asking me, Earl, what, what are you even doing there? What do you, why would you go? Exactly. What in the world? Because, uh, you know, I'm 100% black, right? Been black my whole life, born this way, plan on being black for the rest of my life. But, you know, it was important to me. Yeah. Um, you know, our relationship does matter. It does. And it's important to say, hey, here's something that was wrong. Here's something that was hurtful. Here's something that was off. Uh, whatever word you want to put on that. Then to also say, hey, there is still a road forward, you know, at the yeah. same time. And, and you know, you and I talked about this. There's a lot of triggers. Uh, this, this time in our society, yeah. um, Black people, people of color, others are really walking through a lot of pain. There's a lot of difficulty. And this is not just going back to slavery. This is, I mean, I can go, you know, three weeks ago, right? I mean, I can just go not too far in the, in the past. And people are living in a lot of pain yeah. and a lot of struggle. And, and those, those words can just kind of bring up a whole bunch of emotions. Yeah. And, you know, I've got these boys of mine that I'm trying to raise and point the right direction. Um, thank, I, I mentioned my boys because they're both black. My daughter is, you know, white and Hispanic. So she, she's got that mix. But, but my boys, you know, I, I'm still looking forward to the day that they can wear a hood and no one assume that they're criminals. Right. No one assume that they're doing something wrong, that they can just walk and be yeah. and enjoy life. Oh, that day's not here yet, you know, it's not, it's not here, but, but it's coming. And it takes conversations like this to keep on pushing us forward. And, and honestly, people like you, Louie, that go, man, I put my foot in my mouth, yeah. but I can't retreat because if I stay back, then I don't push the ball forward. So I'm going to have to be willing to kind of get back out there. And, yeah. and, and, and I, so I appreciate you, you know, you're doing that. Yeah. Uh, but the thing I, I appreciate is, okay, you got the injury, right? Then you got the apology. But then I think a lot of people stop there and they don't get into the activity. Yeah. Like they don't, they don't want to stand with somebody or stand in solidarity. They don't want to have the conversations. Yeah. They don't want to pray the prayers. They don't want to get uncomfortable. They just want to kind of stay in their own little box and just yeah. kind of hope everything goes away. And, and this, is, this is not the position and the posture of our church. You know, our Savior came in uh, tearing down walls, opening up doors, hanging yeah. out with Samaritans, hanging out with the least of these and saying, hey, whosoever will uh, can come and be saved. And I think that's our, an uh, obligation and a call that we have as yeah. a church. I love you you talked about you and I talked about a lot but you don't have to choose do I want to be about 
racial equality or do I want to be about Jesus That's and the right. gospel? That's you right. don't have to pick one of those. That's right. And um, you and I are church people. Mm-hmm. And so that means that nothing is above Jesus. Yeah. There's nothing above the King of Kings, That's nothing right. above the gospel. There's mm-hmm. nothing above reaching our cities, reaching lost people, right. seeing revival come. Mm-hmm. That's the heart of your church. Yes. It's the heart of our church. Yep. That's going to be the heart of your church, going to be the heart of our church. And nothing's going to trump that. That's right. But that doesn't exclude us from caring about people who are oppressed That's or exactly wanting right. to see structures change mm. or for all people, but particularly in this case, in yeah. this conversation, for black people. Yep. And so I want to be an advocate and I don't want to just be your friend, yeah. but I want to be an advocate mm. for helping this conversation go forward. Yeah. And um, I'm kind of in, you know, listen mode for yeah, a minute. That's right. That's, that's um, the right posture to have. To just humble myself for a minute, mm-hmm. but I I want to go forward with Jesus. Yeah. And um, and I think everybody is in that boat. Everybody wants to divide. Yeah. But the church is a place where God wants to unite. We've been called to be kind of above that, right? We're in the world, not of the world. Man. And Jesus prayed a beautiful prayer in John 17 saying, hey, Father, I want you to bring them to complete yeah. unity so that the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So there's something powerful about us coming together. And to your point, that doesn't mean I'm not gonna confront racism. That doesn't mean I'm not gonna confront sexism. That doesn't mean I'm not gonna confront poverty or uh, human trafficking. I'm gonna get in on all of those things. I'm not gonna put those above the cross. I do those things because I'm connected to the cross, because Jesus has changed me. Now that's why I'm moving into places of darkness saying, hey, the kingdom of God can be established here. What is broken can be put back together because of the glorious power of our Savior. Absolutely, and that's what church is about. Yeah. You know, we come today to worship Jesus, A, Mm -hmm. not to get something from Him. When we come to worship Him, I promise you something's gonna shift and change in your circumstance in your life today. Mm -hmm. And then we're empowered and we're moved Mm -hmm. to go out into a broken world with truth and with grace and with righteousness. Mm -hmm. And so we wanna do all those things today. We wanna put Jesus at the center. We wanna have him high and lifted up today. We wanna come with our worship, whether circumstances have been good or bad. We wanna bring an offering. We wanna come through the the gates with thanksgiving and come into his courts with praise. And you've got something to be thankful for today. And you've got something that you can praise him for today. And that's gonna start the process, I believe, of a supernatural gathering. And I believe God's gonna touch everybody. You're gonna share a message today. Can't wait. uh, That I've already gotten to hear and wow. You're kind. Uh, so just give people like a little taste of well, where we're going to go today. Well, it is the second best message prayerfully you'll ever hear about no, no, a table, no. okay? So <laughs> Louie here, Pastor Louie, <laughs> preached a message on a table that uh, really impacted my life in a significant way. But uh, I had a table running through my brain. So we're going to jump at that thing today. He still and trust has a God. table. It's not my table. <laughs> it's not your table. That's it's right. his table. It's his table. That's and right. uh, so I'm excited. You're going to really be... Uh, encouraged today. We're going to worship. Chittima is going to lead us off. I just want to invite you to lean in in the in the living room or the dining room at the kitchen table, sitting out on the swing on the porch or sitting in the park, walking with a friend, wherever you are right now. There are no walls. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. 
And the Spirit is here right now in Jesus' name. And there is every possibility for your life, your family's life, your destiny to be changed right now. So welcome to church. Welcome to worship. Welcome to Jesus. Welcome Earl McClellan back to Passion City Church. Let's all worship together and let's get ready for what God is going to do today. to 2 Samuel chapter 4. The title of today's talk is Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? 2 Samuel chapter 4. As you're turning there, let me set the scene for you for just a moment. Uh, King David has now is about to be uh, put in charge. He, in, in chapter 5, he he kind of takes over everything. So the, the moment is coming where David is going to be crowned king of Israel. Now, there was another king before David. Some of you uh, Bible nerds, you know this. His name was Saul. Saul was the first king of Israel, and Saul had a son named Jonathan. So Saul, Jonathan. Saul was actually trying to kill David for a lot of his life, and Jonathan and David actually ended up being best friends. But one day, King Saul and his son Jonathan, they're both killed in battle. Now, David was the one God picked to be the next king. But, but not everybody knows that. And here in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse number 4, we're going to take a sneak peek at a story that I think you'll be able to find yourself in as I found myself in. And I think we can definitely find our world in and all move forward to be who God is calling us to be. Second Samuel chapter four, verse number four, Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. Remember, Saul and Jonathan died. His nurse picked him up and fled but as she hurried to leave, he fell and became disabled. His name was Mephibosheth. That name's a mouthful, but, but his name and this story is a very, very important one. Again, Saul and Jonathan are in battle. They, they die in battle. And, and this nurse who's taking care of essentially the grandson of the king, the one who's in line for the throne. Those of you who are Game of Thrones fans, you will totally get this. Uh, she finds out that they're dead, and she knows that someone's going to come and try to kill this Mephibosheth, this young boy. He's only five years old, but somebody's going to try to take his life uh, because he's in line for the throne. So she picks him up in a haste and begins to run as fast as she can to bring him to safety. I don't know what she trips over. I don't know what she stumbles upon. I have no idea, but what I do know is something Something tragic in that moment happens, something uh, that changes a little boy's life forever. She trips and she falls, and when she drops him, he becomes disabled, lame in both of his feet. Um, 
Those of you who are familiar with Catherine, you've heard her story. Fantastic author, a part of the Passion City family, and suffers a stroke in the middle of what, newborn baby, 26 years old, thinking everything is just going to continue to go according to plan, and then a plan that she did not know was being put in place happens to her life and finds herself now in a wheelchair. When, whenever something like this happens, you know there's always a reason, right? That, like there's always a story behind somebody's situation. It's not everybody's just evil and mean and why they end up where that they end up, whether uh, it's a situation in a marriage or a situation with a friend or even how some of us interact with people. It's not like we just stumbled into that. There's a reason that we end up where we are. You know, Catherine's reason, she had a stroke. Your reason maybe for not trusting men is not because you hate them just because they're men. Maybe it's because you were abused by every single man in your life. Maybe, maybe the, the coworker that you have that, that never seems to stop and seems to be really, really hyper and really overbearing and they just seem to be too into it and they're just really, really aggressive and they just seem to be a workaholic. It looks as if they don't care about their family, but maybe it's not they don't care about their family. Maybe they were raised in a home where they didn't have a roof over their head and they weren't sure where the next meal was coming from. So they don't ever want their kids or their family to experience that pain. And the only way they know to get out of that cycle is to work harder than everybody else is working. Maybe some of the people that you and I see on the news Maybe some people that we would look at and go, oh man, look at them in that gang. Uh, they just must love being a criminal. Maybe, maybe their family dropped them. Maybe the, the gang was the only one that would accept them and, and, and bring them in. And, and they don't love crime, but they love family. Maybe the reason your friend or my friend or that coworker of yours just keeps on drinking and keeps on doing drugs is not because they're just inherently evil and they just don't like people and they can't stand you. Maybe they're trying to numb some pain on the inside of them from a decision from years ago that they've been trying to erase from their memory, but they can't erase it. And every time they close their eyes to go to sleep at night, that same situation keeps running through their brain. So the only way they know to get a good night's sleep is to do another line or drink another bottle. Friends, I'm not trying to excuse people's behavior at all. Don't get me wrong. I'm just trying to say there's a story. I'm just trying to say, can we please uh, stop thinking we know someone just from the first minute we meet them? Maybe you would meet Mephibosheth, and in the first five minutes, you might come up with some idea of how he ended up where he ended up. You would not know that someone who actually cared for him, someone who was trying to help him, picked him up, trying to bring him to safety, and accidentally falls in one moment. This young boy's life is changed forever. A five-year-old that's skipping around and 
doing things that five-year-olds do. We've got a five-year-old, my wife and I. It's absolute pandemonium. The energy lasts forever and ever and ever. I'm one of those parents that are like, hey, give them a little Benadryl. It'll be okay. Kidding, 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 kidding. You, you got this kid who's just going and running and jumping and playing. And in one moment, Mephibosheth goes from playing to paraplegic. You know, like I know, it just takes one moment for your life to be turned upside down. It just takes one moment. It takes one phone call. It takes one DM. My wife and I felt this a number of months ago when our oldest son was playing a basketball game and just goes up to tip the ball and his legs come out from underneath him and he lands head first on the floor and he's laying there still and not moving. The agony that goes through your heart in that moment, it just takes one moment, it takes one ball going the wrong direction, it takes one text, one DM, one doctor's visit, one, one, one uh, email that you see on your husband's computer, one friend of yours that talks about you behind your back or doesn't stand up for you the way you'd like for them to and your name is on their lips and they're not saying good things about you, they're actually tearing you down. It just takes one encounter like that to take your world and turn it upside down where you think you're going one direction and now you're on a totally different trajectory. It just takes one moment. But the great thing about our God, man, I love this about him. The great thing about our glorious king is he's also able to take one moment and turn it around for his glory. That he's able to take one moment of grace and one slice of mercy. And once you and I taste of that, you and I go from lost to found. You and I go from blind to seeing. You and I go from dead to alive. We don't just go from bad to good. My friends, we come alive in Jesus Christ. It just takes one moment and today might be your one moment. Today's your one moment to taste the goodness and the grace and the mercy and the love and the truth and the faithfulness and the hope of Almighty God, that God in heaven does not have his arms crossed looking at you with a scowl. As a matter of fact, his arms are open wide. The cross already proves it, and today can be your one moment where you say, Jesus, you can have all of me. I don't want to be lost anymore. I don't want to be dead in my trespasses and my sins. I want to come alive in you, oh God. Today can be your one moment. It just takes one moment. You don't have to know how to pray. You don't have to have it all together. You don't even have to know where Samuel is in the Bible. All you got to know is that Jesus was born and he died and he rose again. And this glorious Savior of ours is coming again on a cloud of glory. Going to have a tattoo on his thigh, robe dripped in blood. I'm telling you, this man is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he's for you. He's for you. So... Keep, keep going with me here, okay? Skip past chapter five. Skip past chapter six. There's some great stuff in there. Chapter six, ooh, it's good. David dances before the Lord, hey, with all of his might. Chapter seven, all read, read 2 Samuel chapter seven at some point in time. Because God extends so much kindness and grace toward David I mean, David doesn't even know what to do with it. He's overwhelmed. He's like, God, I can't even believe you're thinking about me. He responds to God's goodness with worship and with praise and with prayer and with generosity. Chapter 8, 
We see victory after victory after victory, but, but we're going to sit. We're going to hang out. We're going to park the car in chapter number nine, beginning in verse number one. David asked, is there anyone left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Again, you remember Saul and Jonathan, the king and his son who died in battle. Is there anybody left? I can show kindness to. Verse number two, now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. This is one of those names in the Bible uh, that I appreciate because I feel like it's too aggressive a name for a child, like the name Earl. Think about that for just a second. The, the name Earl is too grown up for a baby. The name Earl should be reserved for someone who has chest hair, not for a baby. So I'm still trying to figure out, Mom, why did you do this to me? Why did, you, why did I come out of the womb and you looked at me and said, Earl? It's too much, Mom. It's too much. So Ziba, same family, but they summoned him to appear before David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? Did your mother name you that? No. Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. At your service. So this guy, Ziba, is obviously in the know. He's someone that used to work for Saul. Again, Saul's dead now. And, and Ziba has been around enough. And, and he knows some things about Saul's household, about Jonathan and, and the family. So look with me now at verse number three. The king asked, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness. Remember chapter seven, God's been really, really good to David. Shoot, matter of fact, God's been good to David. Really his whole life to even pick him to be king. Now David has experienced this kindness and now he wants to distribute this kindness because that's what happens when God gets a hold of your heart that you don't just want to keep it to yourself. You want to share it with some other people. So now David is now king. He's in charge. He is the one that's running things. He's like, is there anybody else of that household to whom I can show kindness? Here is where you and I get a little wink that this is not just a picture of David and and Mephibosheth and Ziba. No, my friends, this is a picture that's going to be pointing us to something that's going to be happening years down the line. Even though in the, around this year, 1000 uh, BCE, where David became king, years and years later, Jesus Christ is going to show up and there's going to be some kindness that God is going to extend. As a matter of fact, in Romans chapter 2, verse number 4, the Bible tells us that it is the kindness of God that's intended to lead us towards repentance that God's kindness, God's goodness, God's mercy is intended to lead us towards repentance, that his kindness is not there to just cover up our sin and say, oh, there's no such thing as sin. As a matter of fact, his kindness says, hey, I expose that sin, but I love you despite it. Come on in. I love you. I'm with you. I'm for you. And we taste that kindness, and it, and it draws us in to saying, I want to turn from my own way and go your way. So now there's something bigger going on here. This is not just about 2 Samuel 9. This is ultimately a story about our glorious God and his fame and his renown. Uh, the rest of uh, verse number three. Ziba answered, he answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. So now here, is Mephibosheth, he's on the scene once again. 
Last time we heard about him was in chapter 4. Now here it is in chapter 9, and we're, we're hearing about him again. And the king says, where is he? Where, 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 where's he at? And Ziba answered, he's in the house of Makir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. If you have your Bible, you can underline that word, those two words, Lo Debar. Just Lo Debar. Why, why do I want you to uh, underline it? Uh, because this, this word, this place means something. It's kind of unique. It means no thing. Lo Debar means no thing. It's as if, another way of putting it is he was in the middle of nowhere. Mephibosheth is in the middle of nowhere. I don't know about you, but throughout, throughout all this COVID pandemic and all the things going on in our world, everything from racism to sexism to human trafficking to all, it seems like things have been topsy-turvy all over the world. And at times I felt like I'm in the middle of nowhere. It's like, where, where do I even fit? Some single people, maybe you're feeling like that in your relationships, like I'm in the middle of nowhere. Maybe you're even married and you're feeling like I'm in the middle of, of nowhere. What, am I going back to school? What's going to happen with my job? Oh, what's going on with my finances? I, I got something planned for next year. Can I even plan that thing for next year? I'm in the middle of nowhere. I'm stuck. I want to move forward, but I can't move forward. I want to take a step this way, but I can't take a step that way. It's like I'm stuck. I'm stuck. Can't say this, can't say that, can't go here, can't go there. I'm stuck. And this is Mephibosheth, five years old, playing. Someone accidentally hurts him. Not all, not all the times you've been hurt isn't an accident. We all know that. But in this particular one, it's an accident. He's taken to a place to hide out, and now he's in the middle of nowhere. If you're feeling this, I just want you to know that the king is calling for you. If you're feeling this at all, if you've had this thought run through your mind, if you've put yourself to bed at night and you've cried any tears, if you've wondered about the future and if you've even questioned the goodness and the grace of God in light of the circumstances that you find yourself in, I want you to know that your name is actually on the king's lips. I want you to know that you might feel like you're in the middle of nowhere and forgotten, but the king of heaven is like, oh, no, no, I know exactly where you are. And then this is what he says in verse number five. He says, I need you to go get him. Go get him. Go, go right now. Don't wait till later. Go right now. Uh, this reminds me again, uh, I, think, I think the Bible here is giving us another wink, letting you know about something that's going to be going on in the future. Luke chapter 14, the gospel of Luke chapter 14, actually my favorite gospel. Luke chapter 14, verse uh, 21 
We jump in on the middle of this parable where a master is trying to throw a big banquet and he's told his servant to go out and bring everybody in and the servant goes out to invite people and people keep giving excuse after excuse why they can't come. I can't come. I'm too busy. I can't come. I'm single. I can't come. I'm married. I can't come. I'm about to have a kid. I can't come. I don't have any kids. I can't come. I'm getting a business off the ground. I can't come. I'm about to retire. I can't. There's all these reasons why they can't come to the table and the, king, the master's like, what? Are you serious? Verse number 20. 21, the servant came back and reported to the master and the owner of the, of the house became angry and he ordered the servant, I need you to go out quickly. I need you to go out quickly. I need you to go out right now. I want you to go into the streets, go into those COVID streets, go into the streets and I want you to go to the alleys of the town. I want you to bring in the poor. I want you to bring in the disabled. I want you to bring in the blind. I want you to bring in the lame. I want you to bring them all in. I want you to bring in the people that everybody wants to walk past right now. I want you to bring in the people that everybody else wants to cancel. I want you to bring in the people that everybody wants to look past and think they're marginalized and think they don't matter. I want you to bring in PhDs and GEDs. I want you to bring in able-bodied people and people that are disabled. I want you to bring in people that speak English and people that speak Spanish and people that speak Arabic. I want you to bring in everybody, bring them all in, bring them all in. And the guy goes out and he brings everybody in. And then he says, Master, I just want you to know I did what you told me to do. There's still room. The master's like, oh, really? There's more room? I knew there was more room because I got a big house. So then the master told a servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I want you to go out there and I want you to pull in everybody. Church, here is our mandate. Just like the king is telling Zeba to go get somebody in the middle of nowhere, so is our savior calling us to go out and get people that are in the middle of nowhere, people that are in the middle of brokenness, people that are in the middle of depression, people that are in the middle of anxiety, people that are in the middle of loss, people that are in the middle of wondering if God is even for them. I need you, church, to wake up and I need you to know I've called you to go to the highways and the byways and the alleys. I want you to get them all. Compel them to come in. It's the kindness of God that is intended to lead us to repentance. So he gets there, verses six. Uh, let me keep on going here. Six through eight. Let me read six through eight, okay? Six through eight. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. He's been in the middle of nowhere, feeling forgotten, and now he's in front of the king. Whew. Oh, my goodness. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him. Underline those words if you can, too. Don't be afraid, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you, here's the word again, kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will, here's another great word, restore to you all, that the, all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? He's looking at this, he's like, what, are you serious? You are inviting me to your table? You're telling me not to be afraid? You're telling me that you're for me? You're telling me that you're on my side? You're telling me that you love me? Wait, you're telling me that you know my name? Uh, uh, I've been in the middle of nowhere and now I'm in front of the king? You, you ever tag somebody on Instagram and have them write you back and you, this is somebody that you never thought would write you back? You're like, what? 
I remember this happened one time with Bishop T.D. Jakes. I was like, hey, love you, Bishop. Love you too, Earl. I, got, I still got it saved. I still have it saved. You ain't deleting that off my phone. <laughs> Circled it. <laughs> Matter of fact, I got it tattooed right here. It says, I love you, Earl. I don't, I don't, I don't. <laughs> but, but you know my name? Wait, you, you know me? And not only does the king say, I know you, the king says, I'm giving you a seat at my table. I'm not just going to leave you in the middle of nowhere. And not only do I know your name, as a matter of fact, I'm going to give you a spot right here at my table. You come, you sit down right here like you're one of my sons. This is, this is scandalous grace. This is wild right here because he's been lost. People thought that he was going to die. He was trying to be protected. And now he's about to have a spot at the king's table. Are you serious? My friends, he was not brought to the table because he was lame. He was not brought to the table because the king looked at him like he was some victim. The king brought him to the table because he had a relationship with somebody's son. And because he had that relationship with somebody's son, that's why God brought him. That's why the king brought him to the table. Here's a beautiful picture. David here is representing God, the Father, and you and I are Mephibosheth, lame in our feet. But because of our relationship with the Son, Jesus, now you and I have access to it by a new and living way where we get to have a relationship with the God of heaven where our sins are forgiven, we have been washed clean, we've been made new, our eyes have been opened, and we get a seat at the table. Who's welcome at this table? Like who? Who's welcome? In the past, the church has been notorious for keeping people out of the table. Church has been notorious for policing the table. You know, years ago, there was something called the hagioscope. Hagioscope is another term is a leper's window. This is where the churches made little squints small little cutouts in the side of, of a church building, on the external wall, so lepers and other non-desirables could look in, and watch church, but not pollute everybody else who was inside the church. And somebody thought that was a great idea. Somebody was sitting around like, hey, hey, let's figure out a way to represent the God of heaven and his mercy and his grace and his truth and his love, I know it will do. We'll tell these people you can't come in and we'll give them a little crack in the wall so that they can really feel like they're loved. And for whatever reason, the church has been thinking this foolish way for way too long. We've been going back and forth and, and thinking, wait, I'm gonna tell, I'm gonna tell people who can come and who can't come. I'm going to tell them who's welcome and who's not welcome. We've done this to black people. We've done this to Asian people. Shoot, we've done it to white people. We've done it to uh, Native American people. We've done it uh, to people who have uh, been divorced. We've done it to people who are rich. We've done it to people who are poor. We've done it to people who have a bunch of degrees. We've done it to people who don't have enough degrees. It just depends on who's at the table. Thinks they get to determine who comes to the table. And the question I have for all of us is this, whose table is it? Is it your table? Is it my table? Or is it the king's table? 
Can I put that glorious cross up on this screen just for a second so you and I can see something that looms larger than, than our position at the table, that you and I are only at the table because of the grace and the goodness of God, because of this old rugged cross and a savior that was willing to stretch out his arms and die. Now he says, whosoever will, whatever brokenness, whatever shortcoming, whatever uh, issue you have in your life, my doors are wide open. This table is not now available to you if you have felt like you've been pushed aside like you've been stepped over I'm telling you that the God of heaven has given you a spot at the table well it's his table there's already people sitting at it now I gotta ask Are you willing to move over? I'm talking to church people now for just a second. I'm going to talk to church people. Me, like I gave my heart to Jesus when I was like seven years old. Young, young. Now I'm 27. No, I'm not at all. No, I'm not. I've been married 23 years. <laughs> Black don't crack. So I, I am. I, 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 I remember seven years old. I gave my heart to Jesus. I, gave my, I, got, I got my spot at the table. I'm good. Got my spot. I've been eating from the goodness of God, the grace of God, enjoying the presence of God. I got my spot at the table, and now the king is inviting somebody else to the table. That means that means some of us are gonna have to we're gonna have to make make some room for somebody else to, to sit at the table. And if we're gonna make room for somebody else to sit at the table, you and I have to be willing to get up from our spot. You and I have to be willing to say, I love you just as you are. And you don't have to clean yourself up to have a seat at this table. Like you don't have to have all your theology right. Like some of y'all might be upset that I'm reading out the NIV right now, right? And some of y'all like, I don't even know what NIV means. We got, we got the whole gamut at Passion City. We got people from all different walks of life that are together. With that being the case, my friends, are we going to tell people, are we going to tell people which, who can sit here and who can't? Are we going to ask people to clean themselves up first and then come here? No, my friends, you learn your manners when you get to the table. It's when you get to the table that you find out, oh, this is what salvation means. Oh, this is what justification means. Oh, this is what, this is what sanctification means. Oh, this is where you turn in your Bible. This is what it means to love people. This is what it means to walk in grace. This is what it means to walk in humility. This is where the Holy Spirit fashions and forms us. But my friends, before you get to the table, don't be surprised that people are walking to the table lame. If they've been lame their whole lives, that's all God ever called to the table are lame, broken individuals because that's all any of us ever were. And then you get here and you're eating with your hands and somebody goes, oh, you don't have to eat like that. <laughs> there's grace by you. There's, there's a fork and a knife and let me just show you. Or you're used to just throwing your drinks on your forehead or whatever. <laughs> We've got to give grace in our church for people that don't, they don't know the lingo. They don't, they don't know the language. When we say give God some praise, they're like, I don't even know what, I don't have any praise on me. What do you mean give God? But we know, church people, we know what that means. 
Give some people some time to grow, some time to develop, because that's what God has given to all of us. So here, you get to the table, now you get an opportunity to, to ask someone, what's your story? How'd you end up at the table? Oh man, my, my name is Mephibosheth. I was, I was five, I was actually in line for the throne. Um, nurse dropped me, and uh, I've been in the middle of nowhere. And then this guy just came, a guy named Zeba. Yeah, Zeba. He came, and he, was, he invited me. And then the king, like, gave me a spot at the table. I'm still kind of uncomfortable sitting here because I haven't sat in a spot like this for years. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. I remember feeling just like you felt. Just, just keep on walking. Just keep on surrendering to Jesus. Just keep on staying in your Bible. You never have to understand it all yet. Just, just keep on walking. You watch, you watch how God begins to change you and transform you from the inside out. I was asking, asking myself, uh, how did he get to the table? Like, like if he's lame in both feet, how do they get there? Where, 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 are my, where are my crutches, please? Where are my crutches? Thank you. Thank you, sir. How, how, do, they, how do they get? How do they get to the table? Because maybe he's there, right? And he's he's bowing down to the king. He's feeling like a dead dog. Did you forget what it feels like to be a dead dog? <laughs> I have forgotten. I have forgotten how pornography made me feel so incredibly dirty and nasty. And then God kept saying, I, I love you despite your sin. I'm going to work on it. <laughs> I'm going to change and transform you. But I need you to run to my arms first. So how did he get there? If he's disabled in both feet, I just thought maybe he had crutches. Maybe he turns and he's leaning, he's leaning on his crutches because he, he can't walk in his own strength. So he's dragging his feet and he's using the crutches to, to get him there. Maybe, maybe if he's using these crutches, I couldn't help but see them as, as grace and as mercy. And here he is, having no strength in and of himself, having no power in and of himself, to get to the table. But grace and mercy are, are giving him what he needs to be able to get his spot at the table because he can't get there on his own. But maybe, maybe it wasn't, wasn't crutches. Maybe, maybe he's standing there or kneeling there or sitting there and somebody who's already at the table, somebody who's tasted the goodness of God, somebody who's tasted the grace of God, somebody who's tasted the transforming power of God, 
someone who's tasted God's ability to take them from lost to found, somebody who understands the glory and the goodness and the mercy of God, somebody that's not hung up on Mephibosheth's weaknesses, but understands instead they're hung up on the, on the power and the renown of Jesus, somebody who's not hung up on the sin, but somebody who's hung up on the Savior, somebody who was sitting there and they're like, oh my goodness, I, I feel like I hear the king giving somebody else a spot at the table. I remember when I didn't have a spot at the table. I remember when I was lost. I remember when I was broken. I remember when I was lame in both feet and somebody got up from the table and they actually came over to me and they carried me. I grew up with my mom. She's a single mom in the inner city. Uh, first woman I ever loved. My mom still love her to this day. She's the one who taught me how to love my wife. And I told you I gave my heart to Christ when I was seven years old, but that's because a guy named Cesar Montero came to the church. I mean, came to our house. And he said, Peaches, you going to church with me today? Peaches, that's my mom's nickname. You coming to church today, Peaches? She's like, no, I can't come. I'm doing my girlfriend's hair. He goes, I'll wait. And he sat down in the kitchen and just waited. Just waited. My mom said she took her sweet time trying to get Caesar to leave. He didn't leave because Caesar had tasted the goodness of God and he wanted my mom to have a taste of it. So he waited. And my mom, just to get him to shut up and to leave her alone, said, I'll go with you. And she went to church that day, like you're going to church, like you're at church today, watching this. And she sat there and she heard the message of Jesus Christ. And she heard that her sins have, can be forgiven. And she heard that she can go to newness of life. She heard that she could come and enter in to the goodness and the glory of God. And when she heard the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, she raised her hand, went to the altar, gave her heart to Jesus Christ. And I'm so glad she did because Caesar was willing to get it from the table and carry my mom to church. Maybe I would not be here today if Caesar did not get it from his spot and carry my mother. Then my mother carried me and now body of Christ, we get the opportunity to carry a lost and a broken and a dying world. We're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus, not for our glory, but for his. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thanks for listening to the Passion City Church DC podcast.